This is MPN. Welcome to Movie Matchup. I'm Casey. And I'm Grace. A podcast where we talk in-depth about two movies with a common theme, and at the end, we'll talk about menu items you could enjoy while having your movie marathon. Grace, what is this week's theme? This week's theme is Murder, They Wrote. Yay! Yay. I almost forgot it, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And our first movie uh, for this theme is 1982's Death Trap. Uh, And the plot of Death Trap is when once successful playwright Sidney Bruhl, played by Michael Caine, sees his latest Broadway effort bomb on its opening night, he tumbles into despair until he receives a package from his former student Clifford Anderson, played by Christopher Reeve. Inside is an unproduced script that's better than anything Sidney has written in years. At the urging of his wife, Mira, uh, Diane Cannon, Sydney undertakes a plan to lure Clifford to, into his country home, murder him, and then announce the script as his own work. And uh, our second movie is 2020's Scare Me. And the IMDb plot is, during a power outage, two strangers tell scary stories. The more Fred and Fanny commit to their tales, the more the stories come to life in their Catskills cabin. The horrors of reality manifest when Fred confronts his ultimate fear. So, Grace, you decided um, to pair these movies together. A very good pairing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it worked even better, I think, than I realized at first. And I kind of, well, we kind of stumbled upon this uh, double feature because we watched Death Trap. Over (laughs) over Zoom together. Over Zoom together. We had a movie night over Zoom. Yes. (laughs) Because it was, uh, this was one of the Ryan Johnson picks, right? Yes, it was one of his movies inspired uh, inspirations for knives knives out right uh and then like a week later i think scare me debuted on shutter by the way you can watch it on on shutter and (laughs) and uh i don't think i noticed the similarities as as i was watching but then they both have the same not ending but the same button on their ending i guess i feel like and so i was like oh this actually had a lot of similar elements uh and i told you to watch scare me and uh yeah, that became our our next double feature idea. But they have more in common than just the the ending. Like the whole themes of the of the movie, they're essentially almost entirely in one location. There's like a couple of mm-hmm. scenes in each movie, um, like at the beginning, that aren't inside of like a house or cabin, and then the rest of it all takes place in that one yeah, location. It's essentially two writers isolated in like a cabin in the woods type thing. Um, they're both like sort of meta takes on their respective genres. I'd say Death Trap is uh, more of a look at like the thriller or the murder mystery, and Scare Me is more of a horror, uh, almost a horror anthology. Even though it's you know the same, ostensibly the same story throughout, you've got different stories being told by the uh, characters, uh, so it feels kind of anthology like. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so you have the uh, the characters sort of commenting on the stories that they're in as they're playing out. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of propelling the movie forward. Like what's happened unfolding like in the stories is kind of, in, you know, causing the, the plot and, and what happens. Yeah. Uh, and then you, you've also got, I would argue, a, a male protagonist who is uh, somewhat emasculated. I'm going to say emasculated. <laughs> by uh, the woman in the film. And this is more overt and scare me and more intentional, I think. Uh, but I think it is there in Death Trap as well, especially when you consider, like, his motives for... I've, I feel like I should warn, even though, I mean, obviously, any movie that we cover, we're going to be talking spoilers, but for Death Trap in particular, I feel like it has a very uh, big twist in the second act, I think. So, like, just... Warning to every, everybody <laughs> listening. If you have not watched it, we are going to talk yes. about <laughs> the big twist. <laughs> yes. But you should also absolutely both watch, like, watch both of these movies. Yes, yes. <laughs> Scare me, too, because it's a very recent movie, so a lot of people probably haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Um, 
but yes, please watch before uh, listening to this. Um, but uh, yeah, when you think about Michael Caine's, uh, you know, motivation for killing his wife in this, like he ostensibly does it for in order to get her money and like because you know he's in a relationship with Christopher Reeve, but also like he kind of has both of those things already. Like she's perfectly willing to share her money with him. And he seems to be able to carry on an affair without any issue. So it seems more to do with the fact that he has to rely on his wife to make his living. And that bothers him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Because really, it's like he could just keep making bad plays and she would just support him and she would be happy to do so. Yeah. Because she only really just seems to want to support him and like yeah, have, have the best The fact that he is not the breadwinner and that he has to live off of his wife. Yes. So, you know, better kill her instead. <laughs> yeah, and then it's just his money. That's just, that's yeah. the only option. I can't write a good play, so I will kill her, and then it will be my money. <laughs> and then in Scare Me, obviously, the, the whole story sort of revolves around the fact that uh, our protagonist is sort of uh, paired up with this woman who's much more successful in their, their chosen field than he is, um, and sort of the tension that that causes <laughs> between them. Yeah, so in in researching the movie, uh, Josh Rubin, who is like the writer, lead actor, and director of the of the film, he worked for College Humor, and he emptied most of his four hundred one k to to oh, fund wow. this film. And when he started writing the story, it was at the beginning of the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. So he like talked to like women in his circle who had like been abused or taken advantage of by men in their lives in positions of power and so like that kind of is why he he wrote the script this way and he mm-hmm. thinks that that message in kind of this like horror anthology veneer is like why he was able to get it made so quickly and that he wanted to leave his character kind of gray in, yeah. in that like you know for for most of it there there hint there's like little hints as to his character but you kind of shrug them all off as it goes like you continue on this plot because like for most of it he does seem like the submissive person like of the two like she seems much more comfortable in her own skin and like assertive for herself and he Mm -hmm. kind of like backs down and it has like moments where you like see something and then he immediately like comes back down so yeah yeah um and uh he wanted oh go ahead oh i was gonna say that's interesting too because it feels uh like you can kind of tie that in with death trap and how michael Caine is um I feel like he seems more annoyed with his wife when she's being more dominant and, and, and trying to steer her, you know, his career for him and stuff like that. And uh, he clearly wants to be the sort of alpha in the relationship. And then we see how that does not work out for him, even when everything seems to go according to plan. And he's, you know, in his relationship with Christopher Reeve, then, <laughs> then he is once again forced <laughs> uh, into a situation where he's uh, sort of not in control of things. Uh, because Christopher Reeve turns out to be a sociopath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he still doesn't. He still doesn't get it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and also like something like to go along with like the the Me Too thing when he was when Josh Rubin was writing it, he didn't want the the female character to be sexualized in any way, mm-hmm. which is really nice that it wasn't like a romantic relationship. He didn't want her to be sexualized. And to just have, yeah, like this very like nuanced gender dynamic um, and a feeling of like an emascul- like emasculated in a woman's power and in her shadow. And I thought that was really interesting. And like you see that throughout. Yeah. Um, but it's not like it's just like forcing this message, you know, because it you're doing all these other like, you know, fun things in it. But he wanted to be able to have that and also be able to do like the silly voices and act yeah. things out <laughs> like being a troll. Yeah. And it works too. I feel like. It's not something that I considered before, but I didn't, didn't, it doesn't really feel like a threat of any sort of sexual violence in, like, even at the end of Scare Me when you are, like, fully in, like, the, the, like, oh, God, he's not a good guy. Yeah. (laughs) Uh Um, But it it does, uh, I think, kind of steer away from uh, that direction, which I appreciate honestly because I feel like there are enough stories about that kind of thing yeah Um, yeah and I think he he also wanted like the moment where the night is winding down and she's like coming out and you know it's just that feeling of like oh okay so I'm not in an okay situation like I feel 
very uneasy about what's going to happen. And I think he wanted that to be like a very relatable moment, like this Mm -hmm. end of the night situation that you, you know, like women can often feel that they are in and not like a very clearly like, oh, I'm just thrown into like this horror movie that is like very clear that he's just, yeah. So yeah, I thought that that was, that that was interesting. Um, Yeah, there's that element of like, uh, are we still messing around or like, or not? And I feel like it plays... You know, the whole thing plays with uh, there's an element of fear there for women, I think, in, in a lot of situations that is not there for men. Uh, and so I don't know if it would play different to a man watching it or not. I guess we could ask producer Ryan. But <laughs> um, but to the point where, you know, you have the like their conversation about uh, his previous relationship in the middle of, of the movie is like, oh, super red flag, you know. Yeah. <laughs> to uh, any woman watching whereas it might just be like oh those two people having a conversation uh you know about relationships or whatever <laughs> uh on its surface it is but it's also like that's that sounds like not not great maybe you should get away from this guy immediately you know <laughs> yeah and then they, i feel like it's because he says like oh i threatened to kill her which would just immediately be like oh i need to get away from you and then it's like yeah <laughs> well you know like we threaten to kill each other and then it just yeah. becomes a thing like oh you're angry and you're like in a relationship and you say things that you don't actually mean mm-hmm. and so we're like okay we'll just continue but <laughs> Does he actually mean them? I, you know, I don't know. But uh, yeah, but it's that end of the night <laughs> feeling. I feel like also where you're like, okay, I don't totally feel safe, but how should I be feeling? Like, should I actually not feel safe and say something or am I making a bigger deal about it? And I don't want to like over yeah. overreact. So I. And honestly, we're playing with that in Death Trap too, because when Michael Caine first suggests like, oh, I'm going to kill him for his, for his play. You know, and he sort of plays it off as a joke. And so that whole first act when he he's just like, you know, he's quietly, he's asking questions of Christopher Reeve, like, oh, who else has a copy of this? And like, you know, <laughs> just little things setting up that, yes, I am going to kill him. And his wife is picking up on all of it, but she still doesn't know. Is he serious? Is this a joke? I'm not sure. And it's sort of like just pulls the tension to like a breaking point uh, that, um really works I think <laughs> uh, but those those scenes of tension are kind of uh, present in both movies yeah because you always have her there like in that situation you have the third person that's mm-hmm. constantly like the alert throughout the whole thing just saying like Sydney like she's just yeah. she's trying to make it okay whereas like Christopher Reeve otherwise may not realize because he's just he's just there he's just talking to like a former teacher it mm-hmm. all seems very normal until he's like handcuffed to a chair and is just like oh I I gave someone the number of like where I am yes that seems so great (laughs) so I feel like her constantly you know like trying to like get out of it is is kind of what helps like drive the the tension yeah to make Christopher Reeve like more aware that like maybe something is wrong because she's getting like she's really nervous and acting really weird and yeah so I I feel like it's helpful they're very they're similar but also different in the way that they're set up and I think they both work really well yeah, there's again with just the whole meta aspect of this. We have both we have in both movies writers writing from experience, and it's the experience that of the story that we as the audience are watching. <laughs> yeah. So there's this that whole level to it, and the power goes out in both movies, and yes, they... and we have a dramatic storm <laughs> that is commented on by the characters. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote it down because she she says like. Cue convenient thunder and lightning. And then uh, in Death Trap, Christopher Reeve says, it, it, like, thunder happens. And he's like, corny, but effective. And just, yeah. I can't think of anything else right now. But if we want to go through the plots of each movie and then just kind of jump in if you think of something. Yeah. I mean, also, I, I guess in general, like, based on all that, also both stories involve trying to kill someone for their intellectual property. Yeah, true. So... I mean, I guess because it's both writers, but that's kind of how the, mm-hmm. yeah, it kind of goes, goes along. And then obviously yeah, the ending. There's that element of like, what does that person have written down? And like, I have to, <laughs> I have to get it, you know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so in Death Trap, uh, we start off um, on opening night of Sydney's latest play, which is a huge flop. Um <laughs> 
And so uh, he goes home uh, in a bad mood and he has um, Clifford's uh, manuscript of a play. And Clifford is a, a student from, uh, I guess, a workshop that he taught mm-hmm. yeah. in like, the previous uh, semester um, uh, of a play called Death Trap. Um, <laughs> and uh, it is basically the story that we are watching uh, uh, written out or, you know, play out uh, in the movie. Um, but, um, he considers it to be a near perfect play. And, uh, so he, uh, comments to his wife that, uh, he should just kill Clifford and produce Clifford's play, uh, as his own, but she being the extremely supportive wife that she is, <laughs> uh, says that she, sh- he should offer his expertise to Clifford and, uh, help him produce the play, uh, and, uh, you know, make it a success uh, that way and sort of get his feet back under him and, and, and get going again. Um, she, she's like so unbelievably supportive <laughs> to be honest, like uh, almost to the point of being annoying. You're just like, girl, like, mm. <laughs> yeah, she, she's very supportive. I feel like also to kind of like help make her like more annoying in, in that maybe like as an audience, you understand more why he wants to kill her. She screams a lot. Yeah, she like, screams a lot. It's it's annoying. <laughs> yeah, she gets she has scared a very weak easily. Heart yeah, and gets scared very easily. Yeah. Um. So like he like just you know wanders it, and she sees him and, and screams and uh yeah it, it gets a little old. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Sydney invites Clifford to their uh, secluded home. Oh, I should also point out that they live in like a uh, not just a log cabin, but there's like a windmill attached. It's like a windmill house. <laughs> yeah, and they have a nice garden. Yeah, um, and a beautiful uh, property. <laughs> yes, and a bunch of weapons on the wall. And a bunch of weapons from <laughs> uh, Sydney's uh, previous plays that he's done, and just things that he's uh, acquired, I guess, because he's a collector of random weapons and uh, handcuffs and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so Clifford comes and over the course of the evening, uh, Mira is sort of, uh, trying to get, it's Mira, isn't it? Myra? Myra or Mira? I I feel like I see it written and I think it's Myra, but I thought I remembered Michael Caine pronouncing it Mira. I don't know why I think it's Myra now, but like I, (laughs) Diane Cannon. (laughs) Yeah, Diane Cannon. (laughs) Um, so she's trying to convince Sydney to work with Clifford, and uh, Sydney is clearly making plans to murder him. And then uh, he has uh, Clifford put on uh, some handcuffs that were uh, supposedly Houdini's and are trick handcuffs. But then when he can't get them off, um, uh, Sydney uh, says that he's going to go look for a key, uh, and then he uh, ends up killing, strangling Clifford to death, basically. Um, so <laughs> it's a great scene. There's so it much tension in that scene and the buildup of what's actually going on and getting him to like come back because he's like about to leave because he's been kind of like put off by Diane Cannon that it's like, oh, maybe I should make more copies of my script and like I'll talk to you later about it. And then it's like, oh, come back. Look at Houdini's handcuffs. It's a very interesting yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, he's looking for the key and looking for it. And then we have the whole conversation about like, oh, I gave a girl this number. She's going to be checking in on me because he's suspicious at this point. And then it, the seemingly the tension breaks when Michael Caine finds, finds the key and everyone's like, oh, it's fine. He was just, he, what was the line he said? I thought it was funny because I'm, uh, you two thought I was going to take that Mason do a Vincent Price, he says. Um <laughs> Just funny because uh, we're going to talk about Vincent Price later, but <laughs> um, so uh, and then he's just kind of like laughing, like "Oh, you silly! You couldn't even get the the handcuffs out." And then he just like <laughs> wraps a chain around his yeah. neck and strangles Christopher Reeve to death. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then we get a right on the rug one point for neatness. <laughs> um. So then uh, he gets Diane Cannon to take uh, Christopher Reeve out to the garden and, and help him uh, bury him. Uh, and, um, oh, this is where I, I, I got, I really get the sense that he 
just hates that he's dependent on his wife for his money as he's like uh, burning evidence. Uh, he says, I'll be the envy of everyone I envy. All your friends will see you living on my money. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> just just can't stand it that no. the woman is the breadwinner in the, in the nope. family. Yeah. Um, so she's uh, sort of coming down from this. And then uh, we've established previous to this that they have a psychic living uh near them their neighbors with a with a psychic helga tendorp mm-hmm. uh who like helps the police solve like murder cases and stuff like that so uh the psychic drops in on her neighbors um <laughs> and she senses uh, pain and death in the house and then she warns sydney about a man in boots who will attack him uh and then she uh leaves and um my Mira, Myra, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Diane Cannon uh, sort of comes to terms with what Sydney's done and she's ready to live with, you know, burying this murder and, and just getting on with their lives. Um, and then she, as they're like about to uh, go to bed, she hears a sound downstairs that spooks her. And so they go and they check out and everything seems fine. They go back to the bedroom and then Clifford, Burst through the window. <laughs> he beats Sydney with a log. And then he chases uh, Myra down through the house until her weak heart gives out and she collapses and dies. So I would just like to point out <laughs> that this is the second movie that we've covered on this podcast. We have not been doing this for very long. This is the <laughs> second movie we've covered where a husband murders his wife by essentially scaring her to death. <laughs> Yes. Yes, <laughs> And the it first is. one was The Tingler with yeah. Vincent Price. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, what's up with that, man? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I, you know, and that doesn't really happen anymore. I guess because, like, I, I, it, now I feel like there's, like, all these different ways that you can try to, like, get away with murder and stuff like that that you never really just think of, like, scaring someone to death. Yeah. It's also done really well because, like, she thinks that she hears something down there mm-hmm. and because you know that he's been buried in the garden like out through the like, French doors that they have like to the back yeah. and it's like oh okay you hear nothing you're gonna go up to bed and Michael Caine <laughs> is just like oh can you just like go to the just go and check the window yeah which may come back later but he's just like go and check the window <laughs> and then it's just like suddenly he just like comes through the window um yeah and also he's like dirty and he's scary looking <laughs> yep uh, and also we saw also when he came over that he's wearing boots. So like when mm-hmm. Helga comes over, it's like you, you've you seen Christopher Reeve rocking around all in the house with the boots before. Yeah. But he died. So how yeah. could it be him? How how could it possibly? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I also want to point out that we go from a movie where a woman is so scared that she dies and we end on a movie where a woman is so scared that she kills <laughs> Progress. That's what we call progress. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so it turns out that this whole thing has been a plot by uh, Clifford and Sydney, and um, uh, they are actually in a relationship. We get a kiss uh, between Clifford and Sydney at this point, which I did not see coming. I, I, I feel like the movie does set you up to see that Clifford is not really dead. Like, I was expecting that. At that point, because like you said, the psychic comes over and everything like that. Um, but uh, I was personally very surprised that he and Sydney were in on this together in order to kill his wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were not expecting, like, because he's so dismissive and can't seem to, Mike, Michael Caine's character, Sydney, can't seem to remember who the student was at the beginning. That They yeah. created such a distance between the two of them that mm-hmm. you definitely don't think that they're in on anything together. And because Christopher Reeve, like, Clifford does such a, like a good job at seeming just like innocent and he's just like this guy that's just shown up yeah. and it's like he's, he's doing full Clark Kent mode at the beginning yes yes <laughs> yeah. so you really just see like the tension between like a husband and a wife that this is like about to happen mm-hmm. so yeah you don't see it at all coming that they would be working together I certainly was not expecting the kiss I guess because we were watching a movie from 1982 um, yeah which I, I guess I should yeah Okay. And it, it was apparently, uh, you know, that kiss was, I guess in the, it, this is based on a play from 
78, I think. Uh, so in the play, I think they are in a relationship, but there's no kiss in the play. Um, but apparently audiences did not <laughs> take well to the kiss uh, in 1982, which I'd like to say we've progressed beyond. But then I remembered that when I saw It, Chapter 2, in the theaters, there were also some groans at the gay kiss in that movie, which, like... <sighs> <laughs> Yeah, I saw in a, a magazine, Michael Caine was like interviewed, you know, and he was saying that, yeah, people were like, aren't you worried about like having a kiss and people will think you're gay? And he's like, no, I'm an actor. Like, yeah. just. Clearly, Michael Caine was not worried. He was like the go-to if you needed a, an evil LGBT character. Yes, yeah, movies. yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean, this and Dress to Kill, he was just like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, I don't think there were any characters uh, who were LGBT who weren't evil at this time but um <laughs> that was kind of whole as much as you could hope for <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just the curve that you gotta you know you gotta you go from no representation to uh like bad representation in, <laughs> in order to get to the good representation yeah. yeah in hollywood um but yeah you know at least it's uh explicitly gay characters rather than um you know just implied gay like in uh rope which we've covered on this podcast mm -hmm. before yes yeah <laughs> progress okay <laughs> <laughs> he came okay, back so him. yes we get oh there's, there's then a great scene where uh clifford goes to wash up and sydney uh practices his crying or gets his crying voice on when he calls uh, in uh, to let the ambulance know that his wife has collapsed and <laughs> immediately drops it as soon as he hangs him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very Fargo, that scene. Um, so then uh, we jump forward in time and uh, let's see, Sydney and Clifford are uh, working together. They've, they've uh, moved a partner's desk in uh, to the like living room of this uh his his cabin and and uh are just you know getting on with their work <laughs> after the murder they did uh and so sydney's lawyer comes over to give sydney sydney all the information about uh his uh what his wife left him and uh insurance money and all of that and he notices when clifford leaves uh to uh, go on a grocery run that he locks up uh, the play that he's been working on, which Sydney thinks is about his time in a welfare office. Um, so he says, just, just, you know, something that he noticed. So now uh, Sydney needs to find out what Clifford has been writing <laughs> because uh, it's still not a great relationship. I guess you can't just ask. Um, <laughs> he has to, he has to find out uh, by sneaking around. Um, so he gets his hands on the play and finds out that Clifford is actually writing, uh, the movie that we've been watching. Yes. <laughs> He's writing Death Trap, uh, and he wants to produce it as a play, um, and it's all just a very thinly veiled, uh, uh, version of the events that have happened so far, which Sidney does, is not very happy about because he doesn't want everybody to know that he murdered his wife. <laughs> Yes, I guess that's the thing is Christopher Reeve, he's like perfectly fine, you know, helping you kill your wife and all Like He's perfectly fine with all of it, but he's not so bright that it's just like, oh, well, maybe people will put the pieces together. And he's yeah. just like, no comment. I can just say no comment and that will be fine. Yeah. That it's just like, oh, wait, but this is about a writer and a student who murder this guy's wife <laughs> and then are together together and your teacher who are you are working for's wife died but it's set in like another location not too far from the location that you were but like it is technically like a different city so yeah they'll never connect it they'll never they'll never figure it out or well he knows that they'll probably figure it out but I guess he's just so convinced that they've they've covered their tracks so well that as long as they can't prove that it's, that it's true, then he's like, the scandal will help make the play a success. So it's fine. <laughs> <sighs> but, 
so then, uh, you know, Sydney confronts Clifford and uh, we find out that uh, Clifford maybe has a not so great past and uh, is actually uh, a uh, sociopath of some kind. And I've got to say, Christopher Reeve playing uh, after this, you know, sort of heel turn is so much fun to watch. <laughs> Uh, in his like full evil mode I'm just like yes I love it (laughs) even if he's kind of (laughs) dumb so he uh, is uh, you know Sydney kind of plays along for a little while in order to try to get to get the upper hand on Clifford Um, but um, Clifford sees it coming and he uh, turns on Sydney and uh, has him tie himself to the chair with um, uh, handcuffs. Um, and then, uh, but then it turns out that the handcuffs are the ones that the actual Harry Houdini one. So uh, Sydney knows how to get out of them. And he ends up uh, <laughs> calling down when, when Clifford is up in the windmill, calling down to him, to let him know that he's, he's free and then going around the back and like climbing back up through the windmill uh, window that uh, Clifford used earlier. So that comes back, you know, set up and pay off. <laughs> everything about it. It's got to, it's got to play exactly how it would within the genre. Um, so uh, he grabs uh, a crossbow and uh, incapacitates Clifford. Uh, oh, a, uh, we get a storm uh, knocked out the power. And so Helga comes over uh, and uh, she realizes that uh, Sydney uh, poses a threat and grabs a gun while Sydney finds a knife. And uh, while they're sort of like facing off with each other, uh, Clifford regains consciousness enough to trip Helga, which I'm not sure why he does. I have no idea either. It's like (laughs) you both have the same enemy at that moment. but Yeah, like he's kind of, you know, Sydney's trying to kill you, Clifford, and like enemy of my enemy, you know. Um, so the gun goes flying and then a struggle for it ensues and, uh, Clifford, uh, stumbles to his feet and he grabs an ax, uh, and just as he's swinging it down at Sydney, uh, in that moment, the scene transitions and we get, we go to a play version of, uh, everything <laughs> that's, that's transpiring, um, uh, in front of, uh, a full house and, uh, on stage, uh, both Clifford and Sydney end up dying, uh, leaving uh, Helga alive. And uh, we see that the opening night of this play uh, is a uh, play uh, written by Helga Tendorp, <laughs> who is the author of the play Death Trap. Yes. <laughs> yes. I had seen. Yeah. <laughs> I had looked up the play um, and. Yeah. I don't know if you saw this, like in your in your research, that it was performed at the Music Box Theater, mm-hmm. which is where the play is at the beginning and the end of this movie. So, like oh. the play version is like where they filmed the movie version, <laughs> and it's where There's so many layers. And the, yeah, <laughs> I feel like I'm in Inception. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And then I wrote down the quote of when Sydney like first has a hold of Clifford's play and is like describing to his wife like what kind of play it is when he's like, you know, building it up and how great it is. Um, he describes it as a thriller in two acts, one set, five characters, a juicy murder in act one, terror yeah. in act two, an ironic and astonishing resolution, good dialogue, laughs in all the right places, very, very commercial and easy to cast. <laughs> Which is the movie we're watching. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah. Oh, I also noticed that there was a version in 2010 or so they put on the play. And uh, I think it was Jonathan Groff played the Clifford role, which I just thought was perfect. <laughs> but... Yeah. I would have wanted to watch that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that is Death Trap. Okay. Well, scare me. Uh, like I said earlier, yeah, it's in 2020. It came out this year or last year, I guess, at this point. Now it's 2021. And like Grace said, it is on Shutter. So. Oh, yes. Uh, Death Trap, you can rent through Amazon Prime for like three bucks. Yeah. That's the only place I think that it is yeah, currently. Oh, also, apparently, 
Death Trap also has a lot in common. Uh, it was it was pretty well received by critics, but I think a lot of them dismissed it because it was uh, very similar to a movie that Michael Caine did in 1972 called Sleuth, which I have not seen and is impossible to find uh, streaming anywhere. So, but if you have the means, then you know possible triple feature. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I I really would like to see the original. I saw the remake that Michael Caine is also in, but I uh, with Jude Law, but I haven't seen the mm. the original one. So. Someday, though, because I think it's another one of those murder mysteries on our list of things to yeah. watch. So. You maybe get it through less than legal means. But. <laughs> or maybe we could buy, like, a physical copy of it. Oh, yeah. Those exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Scare Me, self-proclaimed writer, director, and actor Fred. <laughs> Clearly, Josh Rubin took a lot of himself and his life. <laughs> And put it into this character, right. because in real life, I also just love though how much that just tells us about this guy right off the bat that the like he works at an ad agency, but he is a writer, director, and actor. Yes, writer, director, actor. <laughs> yes, Fred. He's going to a secluded cabin uh, to write. His taxi driver Bettina says she's also a writer. Mm-hmm. She thinks James Cameron from the Titanic <laughs> movies, would really like her story if he heard it. And Fred could not be less interested in hearing her story idea about Cora. I love everything about her, by the way. Yeah, no, she's she's great. Because it's just yeah. like the person that's talking to you and you just kind of don't want to talk to them. Like he clearly wants to sleep. And she's like, oh, go ahead and sleep. And then she's just going to tell you her story anyway. <laughs> And then the whole time that they're in the car and then bringing the luggage up to the house, it's just her telling this whole story idea that she has about Cora from the Bible. But her version has droids in it also. It has like a <laughs> droid army that she hasn't totally figured out. But so, yeah, so I enjoy her. So he's there and he's clearly he's, he's wanting to write. But all he has uh, typed out is werewolves have guns. <laughs> get revenge, get revenge question mark <laughs> i wrote that as well <laughs> it's so great yeah <laughs> and uh as like signs that fred you know just little signs like throughout but at first you don't really think anything of it like his phone keeps ringing and he's clearly upset and he's like punching the couch but we just dismiss it because you know things mm-hmm. happen in life and you get upset what can you do and then he's running and he meets fanny who is a best-selling horror novelist and that night the power goes out and she comes over to check if his power is out as well. And since the power is out, it's like, what are you going to do? So they decide to um, like tell each other scary stories throughout the night. Um, yeah. and she also brings with her her notebook of all of her ideas, which mm-hmm. makes sense. You don't want to just leave it, you know, on its own. Yeah. Because, um, you know, people steal, especially desperate white dudes like you. So <laughs> I love, by the way, that that line... She says that and then asks him what he's working on and he immediately steals the Cora idea from yes. the taxi driver. Yes. And then she like asks him about it. It's like, oh, I haven't totally worked it out because he has no follow-up of yeah. any idea. But he, yeah. but he also says he's working on an idea about werewolves, which she immediately does not have any interest in because yeah. there's so many about werewolves. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so she encourages him like that they should tell scary stories and he eventually gets on board and i wrote down the line that she has it says get up and scare me motherfucker we're burning moonlight (laughs) so fred tells a story about a boy named sam a werewolf killed his parents and he wants revenge and the whole movie uses like visual and sound effects to help create the stories and like the tension and immerse you in these stories but they also balance it with comedy of you being taken out of the stories. So like Fred uh, like struggles to come up with a name for an evil troll and be like, Devin? <laughs> and they do You're that. good with names. Yeah. <laughs> and they do that throughout. And it's, it's a really great way to build tension and break tension throughout the, the entire mm-hmm. movie. And then Fanny tells a story of a girl left alone with her grandpa and then the girl, she tries to poison the grandpa, but ends up poisoning the dog. And then both the grandpa and the dog also come back for revenge. Yes. So I she, love her little girl voice throughout the, 
whole story, by the way. Yes. Yeah, I guess she wanted to use the grandpa accent for like the whole movie. And he's like, that's a lot for like the whole movie. And so then it's just used in the in the grandpa story. But I think that works because they have to do so many different voices and be so many different characters and act out so many different things. It really yeah. shows off what the actors in the in the movie can do. Mm-hmm. So she orders pizza using his phone and there's an incoming text saying that he's a monster from Meredith. So she asks about it and he immediately gets like really protective of his phone, which I understand. Like, again, it's like you kind of just dismiss it because anything can be misinterpreted by like a quick thing and somebody has like your phone which at this point to us is so valuable that it's just like you kind of would overreact a little bit to just wanting your phone back when someone doesn't want to immediately give you back your phone Mm. that holds so much information um but yes he he tries to explain like that he's a monster that like oh well she filed a protection notice and it's like a restraining order which i did check out and it's not the same thing so a protection notice is easier to get than a restraining order but Mm -hmm. it doesn't last as long okay so it is (laughs) oh no it's still not great (laughs) <laughs> but I was like, I'd never heard of a protection notice before. And because it's like, oh, he says it's different. I wanted to to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> but he took Meredith for granted and she wanted to end it. She kicked him out. And, uh, you know, so he may have sent a bunch of letters and called her a bunch of times and threatened to kill her. But, you know, they threatened to kill each other. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, so you say things that you don't mean. He has a shrink. He's fine now. He's fine. <laughs> Also, he hates his life. So (laughs) then they tell a story together about a baskets you can eat company (laughs) that has a troll living in the vents. (laughs) So that's nice. They, they, They told individual stories and now they've told like a story together. And then their pizza shows up. So Chris Red's character, Carlo, shows up delivering pizza and mentions, glad you weren't killing each other out here because it would be a perfect night to do it. And they invite him to stay for scary stories. And Fred informs Carla that Manny's a famous writer. And Carla responds, ouch, emancipated much? Wait, what's it? Not emancipated. Immaculate? No, it's the opposite of that. But bad. Emasculated. That's it. You are emasculated. Look at you. You are an emasculated man. Uh, It's so, like, it's. I mean, it's apparent, you know, in the story, but it's so much worse to have somebody just say it out loud to you. Yeah, to to just point at you and just blurt it out. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, you're making it worse. Yes. Yeah. Um, So then they try to come up with the next scary story. And Carlo comes up with the the title, Too Ghoul for School. And Fanny decides to write it down because it's a good title in her notebook. And Fred immediately doesn't want her to. Because yeah. she didn't come up with it. And so he's like bitter and doesn't want her to take it. It's just so hypocritical after the like core thing. Yeah. <laughs> Too. Yeah. Uh, so they decide to do coke. Yeah. As you do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, not us, but some people. So then uh, Fanny and Carlo tell the story of her best-selling book, Venus. But because Fred is on drugs, as the audience, we only get random snippets of things and then at the end fanny says you know like venus is not just a zombie like outbreak that only affects women it's really about gender politics (laughs) and fred is just i don't see it like he just doesn't get it and so she tries to talk about like relationships with mothers and he casually mentions my mom is kind of a bitch (laughs) and as we all know murderers have great relationships with their mothers yeah (laughs) so there's another red flag Mm mm-hmm so then the three of them tell a story together. And it's like a star is born, but Satan. Right. So it's a, great. I love this one. This one, I think this one's my this one's my favorite. So a girl sells her soul to be on the big talent show live. And her body starts freaking out right before her big song. And the lyrics start out like they've done the lighting and everything to make it really yeah. seem um like an American Idol type situation and the lyrics start out very traditional like pop song and then they just slowly turn into how they should all kill themselves Uh, it's a great song too it is yeah really catchy Um, (laughs) 
And one of the things I really like about this movie, just in general, though, is is this concept of like just the sort of fireside, like telling each other scary stories, um, because I feel like it does get to something that's like really, I don't know, it reminds me of um, watching old episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark when I was a kid. There was always part of me, like, did you watch Are You Afraid of the Dark? I didn't. Not, not okay. as a kid, no. Each episode has like a framing device, like where they, it's a bunch of kids who go into the woods called the Midnight Society and they tell scary stories. And then we go into like the Twilight Zone-esque, like each episode is a different, you know, uh, thing. But I like part of me always wanted to just stay by the fire and like listen to somebody tell a scary story. And so I feel like I finally got that with this movie. (laughs) I got just a bunch of people sitting around the fire telling each other scary stories. (laughs) Anyway, continue. Um, So Carla was leaving and you can notice that the company that he works for is the Overlook Mountain (laughs) Pizza Company. So it's a little reference to The Shining. Um, So the night comes to... And the whole like, you know writer and isolated and yes in yes the whole thing. yes yeah. the whole yes. <laughs> there's a lot of shining references in yeah <laughs> so the night is coming to an end and fred is sad that fanny is leaving and he says that he has one more story uh about a killer and a woman who the woman who got under his skin mm. and the woman is successful no matter how much she fucks up she has it easy and the guy who tries but can't succeed, and he meets this powerful woman, and they hit it off. And he forgets he's bad, <laughs> and that he was mean to his wife. And they stay up all night telling scary stories, but then he feels used by her. And so now he is holding, while he's saying this, the fire poker that she is holding at the very beginning that creates tension and she seems like in, she's in control of the situation and there's like some tension for holding it. So now he's holding it in his hand um, and he is hanging onto her notebook and he has read that she has written about him in her notebook mm-hmm. and Fanny is getting more nervous and she tries to stand up for herself in that situation to try to be like intimidating um, even knowing that he could like overpower her. Yeah, he's not only, you know, has the weapon, but he's also a man and physically uh, could probably very easily uh, overpower her if he wants to. So then he suggests, how about I chase you for her notebook? And uh, he does. And the power comes back on and you see them race down the stairs. And then when we see what's happened to them, the poker has now gone through his body. And even as he's dying, he says, look what you did. I was only kidding. <laughs> and he asks her to... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just... Here's the thing. It's... It, I mean, it works great in the movie, but it also reminds me of so many moments with guys who are, you know, I would consider to be good guys who will do things that... Uh, they're like, it's okay, I can do this because I'm a good guy and people know that I'm kidding. <laughs> and it's like, no, people don't always know that you're kidding. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially women who don't know you that well, you have to realize that there is just a level of fear that exists at all times <laughs> there. <laughs> and so like, it, or, or even just unintentionally, like guys, Dudes, if you see a, a female friend of yours like walking at night to somewhere and you're, you you want to catch up with her, please announce yourself. <laughs> Don't yeah. just run up behind her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something like that, you know. <laughs> it's just like little things like that happen all the time. Uh, and this feels like such a great version and, and dramatization of that that, you know, ends up uh, getting him killed. <laughs> so sorry, but also not sorry. <laughs> well, he is also not a good guy. No. So. <laughs> um, but yes, so he wants her to like finish him off because he's slowly dying and she doesn't do it and she just leaves him. Uh, and so then in the morning, Bettina, our fabulous driver, returns to pick <laughs> him up and she finds the notebook and Fred has now died on the on the stairs, but she finds the notebook. And so the end of the movie is Bettina 
<laughs> has now written the book Scare Me, the title of the movie. Uh, yeah, and you can see like her book being put like in the window of a store. So she gets to profit off like the idea, just like Helga. It's like the whole movie is now yeah. this thing that she gets to take credit for and be successful because of. Ta-da! So yeah, I enjoy that. This premiered at Sundance of this year because believe it or not, or not this year oh my gosh I'm just I'm stuck it's, it's, no, it's the I same know. year yeah. <laughs> this premiered at Sundance in 2020 when things were allowed to happen at that point still um and just like one more thing because it didn't come up in the in the rest of it so Josh Rubin for the character of Carlo he put him in there to purposely like throw off the dynamic mm-hmm. of Fanny and Fred and like to feed into like Fanny's you know talents and like to push Fred aside and make him like a third wheel in the situation right yeah and the idea is like the pizza delivery guy who like isn't like a successful author and doesn't make a crazy amount of money like still has this charm and confidence in himself that Fred does not have and I was like (laughs) that's a really interesting idea Mm -hmm. to do that yes and then um the other thing I have written down is that Bettina uh, she's like kind of like inspired by Annie Wilkes in Misery. So like Kathy Bates' character. I mean, obviously she's not a murderer, but I right, yeah. I think the idea like the, the fan and stuff like that. So I thought that yes. those were. I can see stories. that. Yeah, a lot of a lot of Stephen King, in this one as well. Yeah. Maybe we should have paired it with one of those. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, great movies, both of them. I recommend them both. <laughs> Yes, I, I enjoy them, but they have a lot in common. And Josh Rubin said he had not seen Sleuth or Death Trap before he wrote this. Oh, was he asked about that? Yeah, I think probably just because it's so similar. Like, because Death Trap is so similar to this, that it's about writers in a single yeah. location and that the ending is so similar and stuff like I that. I wasn't even sure if some, like, <laughs> I feel like you, you very rarely hear about Death Trap anymore. Yeah. Or at least I haven't, so. But that's cool. Um, so I was going to ask you just for like a fun, a fun little, uh, kind of game, I guess, um, mm-hmm. like a, would you rather just situation, just like based on, on a cabin, they are, okay. yeah. And they're just like actual like questions. So like my, my first one is like, if you were in, at a cabin, would you rather have no power like they do or no running water? Oh, no power. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> and okay because then i can still tell stay by the fire and tell scary stories on (laughs) yeah hopefully not end up murdered at the end of it but (laughs) (laughs) that's true you could still if you have no power it's like you can still have candles even if you can't like charge your phone and then during the day i mean you have daylight so although she does end up having to like doesn't the water freeze or something like that because they don't have power and scare me uh so she has to go like take a bucket outside for the rest yes that's mostly what I want to avoid I don't want to have to use a bucket but (laughs) yeah and I mean I guess that's you know that's why you just you you have to pick (laughs) so then okay so let's say you are snowed in like you can't get out you're you're snowed in because they Mm -hmm. are also kind of snowed in in the film would you rather be essentially trapped in that way by yourself or would you rather be trapped with a stranger (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's tough it's tough because is, it's is it bad my first thought was i would rather be trapped with a stranger in case so you know if one of us dies then we have something to eat <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> that's your first thought. i'm just saying chances of survival increase <laughs> okay note to self do not go to cabin with grace only the two of us because i am definitely getting eaten in that scenario <laughs> Well, no, it's, you know, if I died first, you could eat me. <laughs> I'm really hoping I wouldn't. I, there's no situation we ever get into where I have to eat you. I'm really hoping. I'm just saying you have my permission. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, in the situation where you are going to die, yes, you have permission to eat my body. Um, All right. Well, wait, what would you rather by yourself or with somebody? <laughs> see, and that's, that's kind of the tough one is because I feel like if you're trapped by yourself, that can be really scary that it's just like you are just yeah. alone and you can't get out. Whereas like with one other person, at least you have someone else, maybe someone like, you know, knows where they are. Like there's just better chances, but also you could be end up in like a situation like this where like that other person is not so great. Um, 
I probably yeah. would also say like with another person just because if I were trapped uh that would be really scary to just yeah be alone um yeah especially if I mean maybe it wouldn't be so bad if somebody knew you were there but uh still yeah I feel like it would get it would get dicey yeah okay so three there's five altogether by the way so three okay no booze or no hot food <laughs> um no hot food I, i'd rather have booze <laughs> i mean assuming there's still food i'd be yes. fine eating cold food yeah i feel like it's just the you know like they have pizza in this obviously and mm-hmm. like when you're in like a cold cabin like having like hot food is like very comforting where if you're just like all right i'm gonna eat chips it's just not quite as like satisfying True. and like hearty and stuff like that as you want it to be but that's why i have it because it's like or if you're just up there and you're just like all right, i have to be sober i can't like drink yeah. any wine <laughs> or anything so i probably would also pick the no hot food of the of the two of the two because i'd like to have a drink by fire i feel like that would yeah, be nice exactly. and it warms you up you know yeah <laughs> uh four watch a scary movie or read a scary book mm. ah, oh. that's tough i like to read when i go like to any sort of like mountain retreat or something like that i just feel like it's easier to get into reading mode uh for some reason <laughs> i'll say read a scary book okay what about you um that's tough because I think reading a scary book would be a, a fun thing to do um, at mm-hmm. a cabin. The atmosphere seems really great for it. Um, I might pick a scary movie, even if that might feed into my paranoia, like once <laughs> night comes. But most likely, I probably would not be at the cabin by myself. So watching a scary movie with friends would be, true. Would be fun to, to do, even though I, I think they both would be with both yeah. movies. If, you know, if it's the kind of trip where I have people there and they're going skiing or something like that, then oh. I'll read a book on my own. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I'm definitely not going skiing. Because I'm not going skiing. No, no. no. (laughs) Okay, and the last one is you're going to do a weekend at a cabin. Mm -hmm. Do you go with Adam Driver or do you go with Dan Levy? And those are, that's just a you pick your weekend. What kind of weekend do you want to have? Uh, I feel like, I feel like uh, Dan Levy and I would have more in common as far as our activities that we would want to do for the weekend so yeah I'll it go just depends <laughs> on the activities I guess that you want to do for your weekend but I think a getaway with either would be a lot of fun well I'm assuming that uh, they're still themselves in this and like Adam Driver's still married oh like so. he, oh okay <laughs> I guess that's true because it's just a would you rather so I suppose in that situation <laughs> I would probably be uncomfortable being around him for an entire weekend. Yeah. I don't think I'd keep it together <laughs> very well. Okay, so fair. I get it. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that was my little questions that I thought would be fun based Yay. on based on the, the film. Um, okay. Should we talk about some food? Yeah. Let's talk food. Okay. Uh, so as far as Seth Drop goes, not really a lot of food in the movie. Um, so, I mean, he can think he goes grocery shopping and they mentioned some food there, but it's not interesting food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the moose, there's, there's, uh, brandy and I think, and, uh, beer mentioned. Um, but I was just thinking like cabin in the woods type food. So for either movie, really, um, we've got a sort of a prominently featured fireplace in both films. So what better excuse to make s'mores? Um, <laughs> and then I also thought, um, I don't know if you saw this going around at Christmas time, there was sort of a savory version basically of gingerbread houses that people were making like a charcuterie house. Oh, um, so you could make like basically a breadstick log cabin with like maybe pizza flavors since we have pizza in scare me, uh, with, you know, pepperoni and mozzarella, something like that, uh, would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> that would be fun. We should also make savory gingerbread houses and then just eat them. We should. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got a year to plan. So, um, and then for Scare Me, just because, like, 
pizza is that's it's a yeah it's there's the a pizza food. delivery guy in it and they make pizza so <laughs> i i made a pizza i got hey. yeah so like colin uh our friend colin was nice enough to like send me like a, a sauce recipe and a pizza dough recipe that he really likes and stuff like that and some tips and stuff like that so i made a pizza nice which you'll eventually people will see on instagram when this comes out so yeah okay grace do you want to tell people where they can find us and what the theme for the next episode is yeah so you can find us at movie underscore matchup on instagram and uh some of our recipes on sugarednerd.com and next time the theme will be hell hath no fury and remember if you murder someone on the carpet it's 10 points for neatness <laughs>